Well, good morning again, and welcome to Renew. My name is Dallas. I'm happy to be with you. One other quick announcement before we get into God's Word. Um, meeting with the elders and the leadership over the last couple of months, and through prayer, we feel that uh, Renew is in a spot where we could um, add an associate pastor. <laughs> That's me. Yay. <laughs> yeah. To be clear, I, I, I was telling my kids about that, and to be clear, I'm not quitting. <laughs> like, they said, are you done? No, I'm not done. <laughs> I'm not fired either, <laughs> just, just to be clear. Yeah, so you will have the job description available and uh, posted this week, and essentially it's someone to come in and help with ministry and administration of ministry. So I would like to ask you to join me in prayer for the right man to take this position. So be doing that, and if you have any questions, I know this is just an introduction to it. Uh, after service, we can answer the elders or me. We'd be happy to answer any of your questions you have, but please be praying for that, and I'm excited to see what the Lord has for us, so please be in prayer. All right, so with that, uh, we are going to continue on in our series, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, where we're looking at Hebrews 11. So if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Hebrews 11. We're going to read 1 through 3, and verse 32 and 30, through 34 again. And then we'll jump back and read part of the story from 1 Samuel 16. So we're going to be in Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. And then we're going to read 1 Samuel 16 at verse 5. Hebrews 11, verse 1 reads, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And then drop down to verse 32, and it reads, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put on whole armies to flight. And then if you turn back to the Old Testament for Samuel 16, starting at verse 5, we'll read just to 13. And this is where Samuel is going to anoint David. Verse 5 reads... Yes, Samuel replied, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rites for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see the things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadim to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shema. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We, did not, we will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Day on. Then Samuel returned to Ram. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and for your spirit that illuminates the scripture for our understanding, Lord. And thank you for just the series, Hebrews 11, specifically about men and women of faith. And thank you for not hiding the ugliness of their lives. And yet we see the good in you through their lives, Lord. And that's our hope for us, Lord. We, are, we know we are not perfect. We are sinners saved by grace, Lord. And um, we just thank you for that gift. So, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive your word, will you just speak and we will listen. Use me however you see fit. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, 
and don't. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So the, although the students were very excited to talk about Goliath getting his head cut off, we will get to there, but we won't actually see the battle until next week. Part of the problem with doing a series in the way that we're doing it through Hebrews 11, looking at each character, and I know that I've been saying this every week, um, David could be a whole year and a half, I think, of, of a series. So really, I'm just going to take the next several weeks or so and, and just l- really look at David's life, the good, the bad, and the ugly in his life. But this morning, I kind of want to set us up in preparation to see when God calls David a man after his own heart, what that really means, what that looks like. I'm assuming that some of you, if you are all those who know this story, um, you probably immediately go to maybe this story. Perhaps it's David and Goliath. I mean, everyone knows David and Goliath, Christian or not, follower of Christ or not. It's used in sports and books and stories to show the, the contrast between not only good and evil, but the underdog. Everyone loves the underdog if they're the underdog. Have you noticed that? But if you're the giant, you realize that? If you're the giant, if you're the championship bred person, you don't want an underdog to beat you. We'll talk about that more next week. But, and then as Marcus taught last week, thank you, Marcus, by the way, that was wonderful, on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see such faith. And with David, what we're going to see, and, and we won't be able to cover it all. Again, there's that reading. You can read and follow along through the, through the text on the reading program that put together. There's too much to cover just for in this series. But we just see a life of David up and down, left and right, highlights and lowlights. Can you imagine if your life was revealed the way that David's life is revealed in Scripture? I'm glad that the Scripture's not being added and we're not all in there. Can you imagine if you'd have to come up and just share your entire testimony of your life? And not only that, it was printed. I mean, I know we don't print, but it was broadcast online for everyone to see the way that David's life is laid out. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of, of myself. We're, like I said, we're going to just get to the point where David's about to fight Goliath, and then we'll continue from there the following week. But why are we here? Why is, why is David where he's at? Why is David anointed? Just, just for quick review. After Moses and Joshua died, the people of Israel were governed by judges and priests. And that was going okay. You know, we talked about Samson and whew, what a life of Samson and, and others. And this was an effective system. And it definitely was a, a system in which the leaders would lead God's people as long as they were obedient to God and as long as the people were obedient to God. And as long as they were committed to following the Lord, it worked out. The book of Judges in the Old Testament records the failure of the people. We've covered that. And the leaders under that system. And after several hundred years after being ruled by judges, it got to a point where Israel started wanting to be like all the other nations and have a king to rule over them. It grieved Samuel so much. Samuel was a prophet and priest, and it just grieved him so much. He kept saying, no, you really don't want a king. I really promise you don't want a king. And then the Israelites were crying out, but we want to be like everybody else. I don't know if you were a kid, did you ever use the excuse, well, fill in the blank, he has one. He has a Sega Genesis. You... You may be too old to know that. You may be too young to know that. I don't know. If you're in your 40s, you identify with that Sonic the Hedgehog lovers. Okay. Anyways, but you know, they have that. They're allowed to stay up late. They're allowed, they don't have a curfew. Essentially, that's what Israel, the Israelites were saying. They were making this confession like to reveal what was going on in their heart. We want to be like everybody else. So after several hundred years of this going okay, Samuel was heartbroken over it, so was God, but the Israelites kept asking, and they were warned, but they knew what they wanted, and they wanted it now. So God said, fine, you can be like everybody else, and instead of following me, you can follow a king. 
So God gave them their desire, and they anointed Saul. And Saul was the most handsome, most beautiful, the tallest, the greatest looking man there was. So obviously, he would make a good king. And he did for a little bit. But then pride snuck in. And then the Israelites soon found out that their desire to have a king was against God's plan. It was actually sin. And their consequence in their sin was they got a king. Exactly what they wanted. A man who became very self-serving, very arrogant, and then eventually God rejected Saul and sent Samuel to anoint a new king. And that's what we read. We didn't read it this morning. I don't have it on the screen, but just quickly, back in 1 Samuel 13, so three chapters before that, Samuel goes to um, Saul and, sa- and says, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel. That's verse 13. Uh, verse 14, but now your kingdom must end for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. What's really interesting about this is even before this happened, way back when Moses was receiving instruction from God, all the way back in Deuteronomy, essentially the notes in which uh, Moses kept in order to keep his structure, almost like a diary, if you will, of what was happening, God had already told him, when you have a king, here are all the rules. And in Moses' mind, I'm assuming at the time, well, we don't have a king. You're our king. And God's like, you'll see. Well, you won't. You'll be dead. But in about 500 years or so, they're going to want a king. So let's lay out the plan, and we'll cover that more as we move on. But what we're seeing here is that God had rejected Saul. He completely turned his back on God. And then very specifically, you have been replaced. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. So this introduction introduction to David is more about what does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? See, much is written in our Bibles about David. More has been written about David than any other character in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, there are 66 chapters written about David. In the New Testament, there's about 59 references to King David. And we are not, again, covering it all, but just, just if you want to, you can go for Samuel and for First Kings, First Chronicles, and you could just go through and see it. 73 uh, of the Psalms are attributed to David. And David is the focus here. But you notice that whenever the Israelites, if you, can, if you know your history, they always point back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but never David. But yet he is the beloved. His name actually means beloved. And the Jewish tradition, the Jewish tradition says this. The old rabbis would say David had a conversation with God when he was first king. And he said, why can't I be one of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Can't you just add my name to the Mount Rushmore? And God said, okay, well, let's see how you do. And then according to Jewish tradition, it's not in the scripture, obviously, The very next day, he sees Bathsheba. Now, if that's true or not, I don't know, but I find it interesting that in the Jewish tradition, especially those who are a little bit more leaning towards mysticism and trying to explain what I've noticed reading uh, the last several weeks considering this, that first generation of rabbis really felt the need to explain away sin or explain away why something happened. And the reality is you can't explain away sin. You have to repent of sin. And that's what Christ has come eventually. But David, again, means beloved, and he is definitely beloved. So as, as we consider David this morning and why Samuel picked him, and then we'll turn the page, really just ask yourself the question, do I want to be a man or woman after God's own heart? And if you're sitting here and saying, duh, but really consider it. Do you want to? Do you want all that that means? It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean, again, you're going to try to explain away all the ugliness. 
One of the main things about having a heart after God is the only thing you can do with sin is confess and repent. I was talking to someone on Friday, and we spent some time together, and it was a great time, and one of the topics that we were discussing is when the Lord comes into our lives, when we accept him as with Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it tends to be the sin that is so obvious, the big, gross, obvious, nasty-looking ones, obvious when you're in Christ. And I, I called them boulders. The big, obvious ones are boulders. And at first, as God removes those boulders, it's, it's relieving. You feel the weight. You probably know that. But then... As you mature in Christ, as you grow in Christ, God gets down to the sand and the grit of your heart. Deep down in the recesses of your heart, he removes the grit and the sand. See, once you come to Christ, having a heart for God, God deals with your sin, but it's not one and done. He continues to deal with it. For those of you who have been walking for the Lord for many decades, I, I, I hope this is your testimony, I know many of your testimony, that God continues to reveal things to be more like him. So really, at the heart of it, a man after God's own heart wants what God wants in his or her life. Chuck Swindoll, I appreciate it, he wrote a book in the 90s about King David, the life, ups and downs of King David, and one of the uh, principles that he connected it to was a man after God's own heart with precepts and principles. Precepts essentially is the clear-cut commands of what God wants from you. Uh, In the Old Testament, we'd call that the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, it's love your neighbor as yourself. It wasn't a suggestion. It's what God is asking of you. Then there's principles, and that's the heart of the request, so how do you love your neighbor? Well, work, through, work that out how you love your neighbor. But Chuck Swindoll does a wonderful job of explaining this in, in contrast. And he says it's, it's like this, and this will set us up for considering if we have a heart for the Lord after God's own heart. He compares the precepts to a speed limit. The sign is posted 70 miles per hour. So how fast is your maximum speed? Not a trick question. I know you're going 80, but 70 miles per hour, right? If I took a poll, who here goes faster than 70 when it's posted 70? I mean, come on. That's only a suggestion, right? Uh, Just this week, last week at youth group, one of the students uh, mentioned and reminded me again about stop signs. And they said, no cop, no stop. I was like, you're 13. You're never going to get your license. But I know how your dad drives, okay? So, but you know, it's clear, right? We call it the California stop. We kind of roll through it. When we lived in Kansas City, I said it's California rule, the California stop. And the people in Kansas City said, oh, we just call it Kansas City stop. So it's universal. But it's a clear-cut sign, 70, okay? I can go 74 without a ticket, I think, right? Then, then the difference between the signs that say drive with caution. That's a principle. A drive with caution sign means depending on the time of day, uh, the road conditions, the weather, the traffic, drive accordingly. So if it's raining, it's pouring down rain, you know, whenever you complain and say no one in California knows how to drive in the rain and on and on and on and all these things, do you drive the same speed that you would in the middle of the night when there's no one on the road? No, ideally, right? So you see this. So what Chuck Swindoll, and I really think he did a wonderful job, is, is just comparing that someone who has a heart for the Lord not only loves his commands, but obeys his commands, not only loves his principles, but has a heart to do what the principles really mean. And that's King David. Now, King David messes up so many times. Next week, we're going to cover it, and I already feel bad knowing what I'm going to say about him. But it's the same thing that I feel bad about my own sin and about your sin. So, at the heart, the first thing that I wrote down as we go through, the, go through 1 Samuel 16, and then we'll talk about uh, his preparing to fight Goliath. The first thing 
If I want to have a heart for God, don't look for loopholes. Don't look for loopholes. That's essentially what Saul did. And then the more and more loopholes he fell into, the more and more he got away with sin. I think I had mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. The more and more confident you get in your sin, the more and more you're willing to do more sin. And then God gets further and further back because you're so focused on it. So, number one, not looking for loopholes. That's just a thought that I had just considering it. I've gotten trouble every time I look for a way out when I know I shouldn't. Every time. So, a person, a man or a woman after God's own heart. And the first one, and we'll just quickly go through it, is we're going to see the contrast from the first son to who God actually wanted. So, back in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6, we see that the very first person that came, the very first son was the oldest son, Eliab. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. He was a beautiful man, very similar to Saul. Even Samuel himself fell into the same trap. I'm so concerned about the outward appearance. What, does it, what will it look like for everybody else? That's our man. So a man after God's own heart, a woman after man's own heart is the step back from the outward appearance. Now, we'll, in a few minutes, we'll see Eliab um, pushes back against David a little bit, but we'll see that. We'll see a Saul spirit in him. So again, then, then we go through, and we'll move quickly, but verses 7 and 8, all the way to 10, the Lord rejects the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And verse 7, specifically, 1 Samuel 16 but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by an outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's what he's looked. Then verse 8, more brothers. Nope, not him, not him. And then verse 10, in the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are all these... Are these all the sons you have? And then he says, oh, yeah, they're still the youngest. I mean, that doesn't count, right? Because, you know, he's like 15 and he has work to do. And Jesse replied, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and the goats. Send him at once. Samuel said, we will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So they're waiting. Can you imagine? I don't, we don't know how long it took. I probably took way too much time trying to figure out how long they stood around before. But can you imagine? Now, just imagine being in a room. You're one of the sons not named David, and you've been rejected. And you can't sit down and eat. And you're waiting for your little brother. Them little brothers, I tell you. But really, just because I think a lot of times it's real easy to read the text and it's more like 2D. Okay, that's a good story. But put yourself in it. Pretend that you are the one that went for, let's say, a job interview. And, and, the, and the person who was doing all of the interview said, we're not going to hire you, but we want you to stay and watch. Like, who would do that? Well, you'd have to if your dad told you. But imagine that. And then one by one, oh, you didn't get in either, did you? No, 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 no. There's probably roughly about 15-year difference, it's suggested, between Eliab and David. So if David's 15, Eliab's roughly 30, and then you go down the line, that, that's speculation. And all the older brothers are staying there. We can't even eat until he gets here. Put yourself in that position. You have to wait. And then, of course, he comes in. In verse 12, so Jesse sent for him, and it goes on and says, he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So David was a good-looking guy, probably not as good-looking as Eliab or his other brothers. But one thing I want to point out to you, do you see where it says in verse 12, with beautiful eyes? This is a very interesting Word combination 
in Hebrew. Because it, it means what it means. His eyes physically were beautiful. But it also has a spiritual connection to it. It means he is able to see beauty with his eyes. Now, if you back all the way back to Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, I'll just read verse 6 to you. I didn't tell the guys in the back, but sorry about that. Genesis 3. Well, just side note, I have to, I have to confess sin. I, I was a blasphemer this morning. I totally made up a scripture and sent it to Travis. And God bless you for, thank you. Anyways, so <clears throat> I just totally made up a scripture. I said Hebrews 1,113 1, to whatever. Anyways, okay, I confess my sin. All right, so Genesis 3, going back to that, verse 6 says the woman, this is Eve before she was named, by the way, The woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. So where it says she saw that the tree was beautiful and it's it's the same Hebrew wording for David with beautiful eyes. Essentially saying she saw what she was supposed to do, and she chose not to. David will see what he's supposed to do, sometimes do it right, but sometimes not. And the reason I bring this up, not just because I love Hebrew so much, which is true, but the way that it connects. See, God's plan is already to take what Adam and Eve had done, the original sin, and make a pathway all the way to Christ. And each one of the judges, each one of the kings is a minor representation of Christ to come. So David, that's why the son of David, remember when, when um, so many people called out, cried out, Barimaeus cried out when he was blind, son of David, have mercy on me. What he's saying is you're the real savior. David never was. So the, in the Hebrew, it's connecting that we have to have eyes not only to see what is in front of us, But the heart of the matter, Eve ignored that. David will up and down. But the the beauty is also connected to the repentance. And we'll get to that when we talk about repentance in a couple of weeks. There's beauty in repentance. That's, That's what it's linking to. We have an opportunity to choose what is right and what is wrong. And when we choose what is right, that's beautiful. When we choose what is wrong but yet repent, it's beautiful. That's essentially what... That is connecting. And he was a stud muffin too. But So he chose him. He was dark and he was handsome. He was probably shorter than his other brothers, both by age, but the assumption is that he was shorter. So verse 13, back at Sam, 1 Samuel 16. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil. He had brought and anointed David with oil, and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned the ram. That's where he's from. So olive oil is, is the representation of the Holy Spirit dwelling on someone in the Old Testament. It is also the representation of whenever we anoint the sick with oil. The oil, it's the first press. I know we covered this way back. I know you remember everything that's ever been said, but way back in, in, at uh, the Good Friday service, that first press was used for the priest to anoint you anointed a king, you anointed a priest, and you anointed the prophet, and then you anointed the sick. That's who you're supposed to anoint in, in that order. But now we're in the New Testament, so in James it talks about anointing with oil, if any of you are sick. So do you, you, you see this? You see this now David is picked. He's roughly 15 years old. If we were going to go through and read the rest of 1 Samuel 16 through, through 17, then we'll see that he gets a job playing the harp for Saul because the spirit of the Lord left Saul. So he's in his company. In the Old Testament, the spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, um, were appointed by God the Father. Well, now, since we're post-Pentecost, we have the Holy Spirit in us for those who believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. But the Holy Spirit left Saul, the king. He, his anointing, essentially, if you think about it, the oil that was poured on him was washed away. And now David is in, and he's playing the harp, and he's with him, and we'll see what happens next. So as we're seeing here, 
we're seeing now God is establishing a new king. That's why later on in Acts, Acts 13, when Paul is preaching, he pre- he's preaching through all of the Old Testament to lead up to Jesus Christ. And he says this in Acts 13, verse 20 through 23. All of this took about 450 years. That's talking about going from the judges on. After that, God gave them judges to rule until that time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. And if you want to look on your own, you can see that the rest of Acts 13, many people come to Christ. But he's leading through showing that David is the anointed one. So David's life is a portrait of success and failure. And the Bible records the highlights and the lowlights of David. And he's far from perfect. However, he has this deep desire to follow God's will and do everything God wants him to do. So as we consider that now... We'll fast forward roughly five years later. He's 15. Now he's entering 20. This is just estimation about his age. Enter David and Goliath. And what we see here is a man after God's own heart. And what we can do is just look, what does it mean again to have a heart for God? Again, going back to that stop sign, he desired to follow all of his guidelines. All throughout the Psalms, I delight in your word. I delight in, I follow the rules of your heart. On and on and on. That's throughout Psalms. David says that. Psalm 119, Psalm 26, on and on, being thankful for the law. And what we see is that David has absolute faith in God. So let's just quickly go through 1 Samuel 17, and this is where he's about to encounter Goliath. So he's, he's still not king yet. So imagine that, you're anointed king, you're going to be the next king. It was that awkward situation between him and his brothers. He's anointed, now he has to go and sit under the actual current king of Saul. I know in my mind, I would think, well, one day I'm going to be king. Why can't I be king now? I want to be king. Like, I want to be king. And here he is, he's still not king. He's playing the harp, helping Saul. Now the whole Philistine combat is about to take place. Goliath is coming down and he's yelling out all these perversion things to say and he's just being nasty and gross and he's yelling and then David's dad wants to know, Jesse wants to know what's going on in the camp because he has sons in the army because they're old enough to be in the army and that's where we'll pick up in 1 Samuel 17 verse 20. It says, so David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelites and Philistines forces stood facing each other, army against army. So here's a plug for the trip in Israel. We'll go there. It's pretty neat. It's almost overwhelming. At the same time, it's underwhelming. And what I mean is, is when you'll drive, we'll get off the bus. We pull off the side of the freeway. You're like... There's electric cars driving by where David and Goliath fought. That's weird. But then you'll walk down to the valley, and you'll see it's an actual valley. And you can collect five stones. I did, because why not? And, and the armies would come every day. Every morning, they would come. And they would just face each other and yell, Ah, your mom. No, your mom. You know, uh, a little bit better than that. But they would just yell and fight and argue. And then the idea to fight, so that way, the idea was your best man versus our best man. And the reason why this tactic of fighting this way is, let's just say the Philistines won. They didn't want to wipe out most of the people. They still wanted them as slaves or servants of them. They didn't want to have to go and chase all of them and burn down the city just to rebuild it. So here's Goliath. We'll talk about him more next week. He's huge, nine foot six I think is the math. It is the math. And he stands there and he yells. And he's so degrading. And then the sun would go down. They're like, all right, we'll yell at each other next tomorrow. Like they continue to do this. And eventually one army would fight the other if that wasn't the case. 
So that's the enemy. That's the, that's the battle cry. Um, verse 22, back at 1 Samuel 17, 22, David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out of the ranks to greet his brothers. I, I jumped ahead. Sorry, if you go back to verse 20, I just want to point this out. I think a person who has a heart for the Lord, a, God, a heart after God's own heart, does what David does in verse 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd. It's real easy to miss that. What is his job? A shepherd. Just because you're being called to do something greater and bigger and better, do not neglect what God had called you to do beforehand. It's so important to do that. I can't... I think that this is one of the things that can get Christians in trouble that will lead to pride, which will lead to destruction, which lead, or leads to fall to destruction, is whenever you are making your way in step with the Lord and you are becoming successful, whatever that means and whatever you're doing, if you neglect the things that you're responsible for, you'll get you in trouble, i.e., you're a dad. You have great responsibilities at home as a husband and as a father. You get a promotion in your job. You spend more and more time away from your family. Bad news bears. Same thing with wives. You, mothers, you get a job. Whatever it is, you start neglecting that at home. I'm not saying that you can't have a job. I'm not saying you can't be successful. I'm saying we must do what David did and still take care of the priorities. God will never call you to something without taking care of the other. Always. So David left the sheep with another shepherd. We could have read this. David left the sheep. Remember, he's a shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. We went through Psalm 23, however long ago that was. It, we could have read this because the Bible wouldn't have left this out. He left the sheep, they fell off a cliff, and they all died. We're like, oh, that's a bummer. But he didn't. He, he left his sheep with another shepherd. His dad asked him to do something else. He did not neglect his responsibility, and he moved on. A man or a woman after God's own heart cares for the things that God has asked him to do. So now he's bringing all this stuff uh, to his brothers, this basket full of stuff. Verse 22, he left the things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion of Geth, came out from the, the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shouting his usual taunt to the ar army of Israel. So he's getting there early in the morning. Here comes Goliath. He's back in the back row somewhere. He comes out, does this whole yelling and screaming. And this is the first time that he hears at verse 24, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He came out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. Hallelujah, right? And David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will the man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan? So you see there's this conversation that's going on. He probably just catches the tail end. And then he said, what do you get for killing him? In David's mind, you have, you have to understand, in David's mind, just kill him. Like, what's wrong with you guys? What do, what do we get? And then specifically, why is he upset? He's upset because he, his defiance of Israel, who is this pagan, Philistine anyway, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. He doesn't see an attack simply on Israel, simply on his brother, simply on his family. It is a direct attack of the living God. He's like, we can't have that. We have to stand up for what is right. 27, and these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, oh, remember him, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're, you're supposed to be taking care of? I know your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Eliab is still harboring anger after roughly five years that he was not picked. He had to stand around and wait for him 
to come. And, and notice this. First, he, accuse, he attacks his character. What are you doing in here? What about those few sheep? Oh, what about that little job that you have? So much for you being the king. You know, family members can really just, I mean, right to the heart. Like right now, this is so bad. You know exactly what you could say to the person right next to you and make them mad. Right? I hope I'm not the only one. Like you know exactly what it is. You could bring up an argument from 28 years ago and say, do you remember? That's exactly what's going on here. Those little sheep, you just... And then he accuses, and you'll notice this over and over again as you, as you read, the, the sin that he is dealing with, he is projecting on someone else. He says, I know about your pride and your deceit. Wrong. It's your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. So if someone who has a heart for the Lord, a desire to follow the Lord responds in this way, exactly in this way. What have I done now? David replied, I was only asking a question, and here's the key. He walked over to some others. Who here feels like they have to win every single argument, every single battle? So dim. I mean, if it's your brother, I mean, that doesn't count, but... But really, you, you see that someone, uh, a man after God's own heart does not allow someone else to detract them from what they're supposed to be doing. He could have easily said, and, and who's anointed king? Or a number of other things. And I believe if he would have, he could have technically been arrested. According to Jewish law, you were not allowed to go to the battle lines if you were not a soldier. If you were a messenger, you only delivered the message and you had to leave quickly carrying the next message. Second, since his older brother, and it's a hierarchy within the family, since his older brother accused him of something, he, he, he could have had him arrested. And just the bare basics, they could have fought. So you see, he did not get disrupted in, in the accusations against him. He just moved on. Because the whole reason why is in the back of his mind, all he cares about is dealing with this pagan Philistine who is defying the living God. So I think that's a good word for everyone. He walked over to some others. He walked away. He knew where the real fight was. We get so wrapped up in trying to save face, thinking that we have to defend our character when we're accused of things, which ends up revealing what our character really is about. So, he goes to the others, verse 30, he asked the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king set for him. So you see that David's like, what do we get? What's happening? He, really what David is doing, it appears, is he's looking for clear information of what's going on. He cannot believe no one will do anything. This is unbelievable. So then word gets out, hey, Saul, that guy who plays the string instruments for you, he's asking. So he asked him to come. And in verse 29, uh, excuse me, 31, question was reported to Saul, and the king sent for him. 32, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. I'll get him. So here, and then verse 33, don't be ridiculous, he says. Now, the reason why he's saying don't be ridiculous, the person who is technically supposed to fight Goliath is Saul. He is their champion. That's why Goliath is called the Philistine champion. Not only he's a champion because, and we'll see later that, He's a great fighter. He's the tallest. The Bible makes it clear that Saul was the tallest. Saul was just sitting there and saying, don't be ridiculous. I don't want to fight him, but you can't either. A lot of times we do put our own insecurities on the, somebody else. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. 
There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. 34, but David persisted. A man or woman after God's own heart persists at the first, second, and third no. But David persisted. I do wonder, I do, and I even look back in my own life and I consider, if I was persistent in something, what are the few things that I wish that I would have said yes instead of saying no because of bad advice? I heard clearly from God, but I was so wrapped up in what other people had said, assuming they were wise, they had some kind of authority. I, yet I knew what God had asked me to do, but yet I was looking for reassurance and someone other than the Lord. So be persistent. A man or woman after God's own heart is persistent. He says, I've been taking care, and here's the reason why. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw. ESV and New King James says, by his whiskers, and I club it to death. You see this? Remember, David is the minor Jesus. He is the minor Savior. He is a representation of Jesus to come. Remember, later on, Jesus leaves the 99 for the 1. That is not the practice that you would practice as a shepherd. You would attempt to, but if you couldn't, you had the 99 to worry about. But yet, he said, I went after the 1, which points to Christ who will come after the 1. If you're the one this morning that doesn't know Christ, today is the day. You are that one. So then he says, verse 36, I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine. Like he cannot, all he, what's your problem, guys? Like, have you not ever fought before? I'll just club them. He says, I have done both to the lion and bear, and I'll do this to the pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. That's all he sees. Man or woman after God's own heart sees the Lord in everything. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. So I finally consented. All right, go ahead. And may the Lord be with you. Good luck, pal. And then next week we'll see that he tries to put on armor that isn't his, or Saul's trying to put armor on David. So a, a person after man's own heart, and if you're sitting here and your mind is trying to fast forward to David and Bathsheba, slow down before you do. There's a temptation, I know, to say, yeah, but I want to know why he has his own heart because of his sin. If that is you this morning and you're considering it, he, spoiler alert, he repents. He repents. A man after God's own heart is not a perfect man or a perfect woman. It's a man or a woman who has a desire to follow God's precepts, to do what he has asked, also the provisions. And yet he is the man or woman who says, I have sinned against God. He doesn't let the shame, which is really pride, come in and try to explain away the sin. Man or woman after God's own heart seeks the Lord, and when he or she falls, comes right back for his forgiveness. David sought God's law. He's a man after God's own heart. David is a role model for us in the sense of pointing us to Christ. And there's lots of consequences here on earth that we'll see for him but we'll ultimately see that God forgives him because he repents. But here in this story, and, and sorry, we don't get to see Goliath get his head cut off like the kid said, but what we see here is all he can see is I have to be responsible for my sheep at home, so I'll take care of the last thing God asked me to do. I'm going to go and look at the things that the Lord sees, and any attack against me any attack against the people, I can't take it personally. I have to look. It's an attack against the living God. And what am I going to do about it? And 
He didn't fight his older brother. He didn't get caught up in the weeds of trying to defend his honor, his character. He just moved on. And then finally, a man or a woman after God's own heart persist, even when they're told no. Because if the Lord tells you, if you know that you know that the no that the Lord told you, then do it. And then going back to the sheep. If you're sitting here this morning and you think, yeah, that's good. I would be persistent, but I don't know what the Lord has for me. It's the same thing that I routinely say. It's what we saw with Abraham after he got back from Egypt. He went right back to the last place God told him to be. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're waiting on the Lord and you're not sure what he wants, what was the last thing he asked you to be? It's probably be obedient. We'll close with just this hymn, an old hymn from Joseph Henry Gilmore. And uh, I read this, uh, my utmost for his highest, a couple of nights ago. Great devotion if you're looking for a devotion. But he included this from uh, Joseph Henry Gilmore. It says, Lord, I would clasp thy hand in mine, nor ever murmur nor repine. Content whatever law I see, since tis my God that leadeth me. See that? God is faithful. We're going to receive communion. We're going to sing a couple more worship songs unto the Lord. We're going to receive communion. Um, You're invited to join us if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Just ask the Lord to scan your heart, reveal either boulders or rocks in your life or the silt and sand in your life. Have a desire to Seek the Lord. Perhaps maybe there's something where you need to be persistent in, something that you need to take care of. Apologize, own, but the Lord is faithful to reveal it. There'll be a couple of guys who pass out the elements over the songs. Hold on to those elements, and we will receive communion together. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for this time that we have, and um, just a fast and quick introduction to David, a man after your own heart, Lord, and Lord, what we see here is that um, his desire to serve you, and that's really what our desire is to be, God. And Lord, again, I do pray for anyone in here who does not know the joy of being yours. Speak to them now. Thank you, Lord, for leaving the 99 for the one. Thank you for coming after me and everyone. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion this morning and sing some more songs to you, will you just reveal things in our life that is not good? Sin. Lord, will you give us boldness to be persistent? God, will you let us be reminded of what the real battle is? Not against flesh and blood, but the powers. Principality, Lord. And Lord, if, if there's something that we've neglected because you've called us to something different, Lord, will you help us be obedient in that? Lord, thank you for the reminder that David left the sheep with another. So Lord, as we sing more songs to you, we just pray that you speak and we will listen. We love you so much. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.